Welcome to The Drummer's Pathway, the podcast about music, life, and the creative process. Hello, I'm Michael Scott, and welcome to the Drummer's Pathway podcast. On this episode, my guest is award-winning drummer, author, and educator, Klaus Hessler. Based in Germany, Klaus is highly regarded for his mastery of molar technique and open-handed playing approach, and has achieved recognition for his creative and innovative drumming concepts. Klaus continues to be an in-demand and respected educator, and has published six books, including the award-winning Camp Duty Update and his most recent book, Taladiddle, which is a study of combining the rhythmic language of India with a traditional snare drum rudiment approach. In our conversation, we talk about why it's essential to always take a musical approach when learning to play the drums. In addition to covering many of the concepts in his various books, We also discuss the challenges of navigating online media options to learning without having a proper teacher to guide you. Let's get started. Klaus, it's an absolute pleasure to get a chance to connect with you again. It's been a while, but we first met back in June of 2017 at Dom Familiero's place when you were there for a day of private lessons and a masterclass, which I was very fortunate to attend. In, in fact, that, that is true. I, I remember well, and uh, first of all, th- thanks for having me on your, on your production, on, on your show, Michael. I remember, that, um, uh, I remember that time, 2017, you say, I, yeah. I guess I was teaching at, um, at the Berkeley College of Music, and I made another stop at Dom's place because I, I just thought, okay, I'm on American soil, so uh, I, I need to stop by with, with Dom, and, and he said, you... You, you won't get out of here with, without work, getting at least some kind of work. So, so we set up a couple of, uh, of one-on-one lessons and, and this one masterclass that you were referring to in, in Dom's new studio. Correct. It was a great pleasure to actually get a chance to connect with you for both of those lessons. One of the lessons that, that I had was on uh, open-handed playing. And I'd like to get into that concept a little bit, which is something that you're renowned both as an educator and a player using that technique. And I also had a chance to kind of pick your brain on some foot technique practices as well. But as a drummer, you originally started playing when you were around four years old, although you didn't start formal training until you were about 10. So can you go back and kind of talk a little bit about the experience, just, you know, discovering drums in the first place and the process from the discovery period to beginning more formal lessons at a young age? Sure. Um, I mean, I should say when when other kids had certain toys, whatever they would be, my toy was the drum set. And uh, it was my favorite toy. And I remember um, uh, situations like um, inventing stories as I mean, basically in the style as as little kids are doing this, right? You you. You, you play something either with, with, with a friend or friends and you invent stories and you would say, okay, I am, I am Batman and you are, and, and you are Spider-Man and together we are fighting that wizard or I don't know what it is. It's, it's, I'm just making this up on the spot now. But, uh, 
I would invent stories for myself and I would make my own soundtrack for it. And, uh, and I remember I had, uh, uh, I, I oftentimes I, I took the bass drum beater out of the, of the pedal and I used it on the cymbals to, to do stuff like that or, or on a tom to, to create whatever extra effect. So that was my little, say, uh, music production, e even if you will, uh, uh, like my, my own, doing my own soundtrack as I would invent stories. So this is, um, this is my first and early memory of, of me playing drums at this very young age. And, uh, and, and I should say it was very much something like, uh, something like an adventure. It's, it's you, you explore this, uh, without knowing anything. And, uh, and it wasn't even connected to studying and learning. Oh, here's a guy that shows you how to hold the sticks. I didn't have all of that. That was only way later when, when I first started then getting into some more kind of a formal training and when people began to show me, okay, this is, this is the way how it's usually done. So you, so you better try this out. So that was much later, but, um, uh, I should really say, um, oftentimes it can also be good if you have no one to show you things because discovering your instrument from a standpoint of child logic or kid logic often also keeps you away from certain things that might not always be too much of an advantage. At times, people also teach you stuff which is not really helping you or is not working for you as a kid. So rather preserving that adventurous, uh, I don't know, entrepreneur like uh, state of mind, although you're, you're just a kid and you just discover the instrument and you see what, what this little toy has in store for you and you take it from there. That was it. One of the things that is often said about um, the learning process in anything, but in this case, particularly music, just as, as you said, was as a child, there's the joy of discovery. As an adult, there is the fear of not getting things correct. And what happens is that even though you're excited to learn a new process as an adult, we're kind of taught that here's the tools that you need. Here's what you need to master. And you have to do that. And that can often be a detriment or a discouragement to many people that are starting at a later age because they forget the joy of discovery. And I know for me, that's something that I've had throughout my um, drumming experience is go through the joy of, of discovery. Then you get to the point where it's all about, I have to get everything correct. And if it's correct, then it's fine. But if it's not correct, then I'm not good at what I do. And it can be a discouragement. And then you have to start to realize that the information that's being given to you is tools. And you have to kind of take the tools and still add that element of discovery as part of the, part of the journey, because everyone has an own unique individual voice and that and through the, the the play aspect or the art of discovery that's how you determine who you are the tools are there to build the skill set but you still need to be a unique artistic individual as part of this process that's very true and, and i totally agree about that aspect of discouragement when you when you're uh, afraid of making mistakes um, that is true and, and and basically i i agree with all of that the only thing i would still add is uh, at times, or or I, I would even say many times, people are just 
stopping at the point of applying a certain tool. They use it, but they don't take it any further. Like you, you learn a certain pattern, you learn a certain technique, but, uh, but you, you stop with applying it. And of, often people think, okay, this is as far as I, is, is, is how I can go. But uh, the truth is, it's not. You can always go further. You can take this thing apart. You can slice it into the smallest possible parts and then reassemble them and evaluate them and uh, exchange the order of, of things and until you make it yours. But this, I guess, is, is the important step that finally leads to more creativity. Because when you stop with, with the stage of just applying something, you always just apply. You, you, you copy, you do what everyone does. You're, you're kind of, you're, you're kind of riding the wave, but you're never producing the wave. And, uh, and you might catch yourself in that state of mind where you, you keep looking for waves around. And that's what a lot of people do when you, uh, when, when you see how, how the, how people react to, to social media content. Uh, most people are just riding those waves. They are, they are kind of trying to jump on that wave and then make their own little version of it, but, but they don't produce their own waves. And, uh, and, and that's a different story. I, I guess you should not stop with applying a certain pattern or a certain ability. You should really cut it down into the smallest possible pieces, make it yours, that, and reassemble, evaluate, and then create. Because creativity will not be possible if you just only apply something. That, that's what I truly believe. Well, one of the things that I know for myself in the past when I've learned different styles, maybe some Afro-Cuban styles or some Brazilian styles, although it's not something that I really play that type of music, but I love the challenge of, of expanding my knowledge and my repertoire. But I struggled for a long time with the applications of the things that I learned because I would learn the things from the books and I might play it in the practice room, but then I never really felt like I understood where to actually use these concepts. And I was never 100% convinced that I had everything traditionally correct. Now what I've learned in my own playing is that if I just let loose and I'm in the right musical context, the elements that I've learned start to show up in my playing. And that's where things become joyful. Yes, I might not be playing everything exactly the way it was written on the page, but there are elements of the things that I have learned from those pages that stuck with me and that become part of my own sort of creative repertoire. And that's where the joy comes into play. Yes, I'm probably not going to get hired to play a lot of Afro-Cuban gigs because I don't have the, the full, you know, traditional understanding of stuff. But the time that I've put into the things that I've learned, once I let go of having to get it exactly the way it was on the page and just to embrace it as a new artistic voice, that's really where things become much more joyful. And then you start to really discover who you are and who you are might be, you know, like a, a mixing uh, bowl of different styles and different techniques, but you have to kind of eventually just let the concepts go 
so that the musicality and the applications then then start to be embraced by the opportunities that you get. Yeah, to, to, to some degree, yes. I would just add the aspect that when you pick a certain topic or a certain exercise or a certain field of study uh, um, around the drums or, or in, any, in, in, in any subject, actually, you should, in the best possible case, you should know why you study that. Mm -hmm. Where, where's the benefit? What's the takeaway if I study this? And, uh, and of course, you can, you can always make an experiment and, and say, okay, I have no idea what this is going to, to do for me. I just, I just give it a shot and who, who knows? So, I mean, you can do that, but, uh, um, but I guess this should rather be the exception than the rule. In mm -hmm. the, usually, I would suggest, um, I mean, reflecting your weak and strong points and then see, okay, what is it that I can do to make my strong aspects in my playing even stronger? And what is it that I can do to, uh, to kind of get rid of some, uh, of some of my weak spots? And what are the concepts that help me with both of these fields? So knowing why you go in a certain direction is very important. The other thing is, yes, at times, certain things keep popping up in, in unexpected, say, musical contexts. But for the most part, they only pop up if your, uh, I mean, not just your state of mind, but, but your whole, say, setting of how comfortable you are with, with something and how easy it is for you to, uh, to reproduce something, the more likely it's going to be that it's popping up. It's not going to pop up if you're just looking for, okay, how fast can I do this? And, uh, and how much can I put it to the extremes? But things begin to pop up when, when they have become so much part of, of your, of your system and of your intuition, I should say, that, uh, uh, they, they come to you just in a very easy way. So, and, and that only goes with, with you being in that state of, yeah, I, I can do this without any extra effort or thought or I, I can just do that. It's, it's something that, that comes to me. And, um, and once, and once you get things to that stage, it's easy to, to wait for this, say, intuitive pop-up <laughs> of, of, uh, ideas, let's say. So one of the things that you're known for in your own playing style is the concept of open-handed playing, which in essence is just not crossing your hands. Um, most people, when you're looking at videos, the you know they will generally cross their right hand over to the hi hat and have the left hand on the snare drum. Open-handed playing, in essence, is dividing your kit in half. The left side of the kit, in essence, is played with your left hand. The right side of the kit is played with your right hand. And you're playing your hi-hat lead with your left hand. But in essence, it's not crossing the hands. Why did you begin to kind of adapt that particular style? Um, very easy. Number one, when I was starting out to play the drums at, at in, in this childlike, I mean, four or five-year-old uh kid stadium if 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 you will uh i honestly i i think i never met a kid who would cross hands automatically unless they have a brother father uncle sister nephew whatever who plays the drums and where they have copied that 
But if you have a kid that doesn't know anything about the drums, uh, I would be in, let's say, 110% sure that kid is not going to cross hands. I'm, I'm very serious about that. So um, it's so, so th th there is something like a, like a, a, a very logic aspect to that. Why would I cross my hands when I play a certain instrument? And uh, just as other musical instruments are not consistently played with hands crossed. Mm -hmm. So I, I'm, I'm not, but still, I'm, uh, I'm not even trying to make a rule out of that. I mean, just because a, a piano is not played with hands crossed. Uh, uh, I mean, that doesn't necessarily say that, that this would also apply to the drums. But I actually don't get the point. And I think most kids don't get the point. And... Uh, and, and really, you can, you can make the, the long story very short by just saying, what, what's the point of crossing hands? And uh, uh, since it, it may create more limitations than helping your freedom around the kid. But still, what I'm saying is not that crossing hands is old-fashioned and bad and, and, uh, and not good. And, and open-handed playing is exactly the opposite of that. You can do whatever you want, but I think playing the drums open-handed just makes so much more sense from a variety of different standpoints. And, uh, and I guess uh, you also, uh, I mean, everyone is noticing the, the rising number of people who actually play open-handed. It's not going through the roof, but uh, it just makes so much sense. I mean... Well, for, for me as a teacher, um, I will teach both open-handed or cross-hand, but I don't tell the student what to do. I just let the student sit down and play. And whatever way they sit down to play is how I'm generally going to teach them and how I'm going to play. So if a student sits down, and as you said, a lot of times, particularly when you're starting, they will sit down and play in an open-handed fashion because that just makes sense to them. So when they're playing that way, I will play that way because I don't want to have them get confused by them sitting down to learn one method and me using a different approach. And for me, I find that um, has helped strengthen my own playing. I'm, you know, I'd still tend to play majority um, crossing my hands, but there's a huge factor now of my playing that I've added to the open-handed element. And it also has added an ergonomic aspect to my drum set that's made everything much more comfortable to play because I'm adding more things to my left side. I'm incorporating my left hand hi-hat more, and it's allowing me to sit at my drums now and be more balanced and much more comfortable. And it's just really increased my, my skill set and my creativity. So it's something that I'm finding I'm adapting significantly more open-handed approaches to my own style. Yeah. I mean, the, the, two, two things about that. Number one, um, uh, I think a, a lot of that confusion about open-handed playing and cross-handed playing and all of that comes through the aspect that the drum set in itself is still a relatively young instrument. Um, so when you get, when you look at other instruments, like, I don't know, violin or piano or instruments like that, which already have a certain, uh, I mean, century old um, time span of methodology behind the belt, if you will. I mean, since 
Stradivari, it's basically it's basically clear how you move the bow a, a, across the violin, and no one would argue that. And uh, and since the times of Johann Sebastian Bach, I mean, we we basically agree on how the piano is working, but for some unfortunate reason which is also due to the fact that the instrument is so young, we still do not have some sort of uniform uh, or uniformity of uh, how a methodology on drums would look like. And, uh, and this is to a certain part a good thing, to a certain part a bad thing, I really think. Um, so, so that's one aspect. The other thing in a, in a teaching scenario, I mean, it's... Uh, it's totally fine if you adjust to a student. It's just uh, how our mutual friend Don Famularo would have said, as a teacher, you affect eternity. You never know if you're sitting in front of the next Buddy Rich or Vinnie Colaiuta or whoever. Mm -hmm. So if you influence this guy to then, okay, oh, you'd rather go cross-handed. You will never know if you sort of just made that little move that kept the, the, the new Buddy Rich from really being the new Buddy Rich, right? So you, you don't know where your influence starts and where it stops. So allowing for the most growth and uh, allowing for potential to develop, especially with young students, my, my personal suggestion would be if the student says, oh, I'm rather gonna go, I'm rather gonna play cross-handed, you can say, Okay, fine, that's your choice, but here it is. I will still play this way because you got a number of options which you actually don't have in that position. Mm -hmm. If you want to, keep going. I have no problem with that, but you may want to rethink. But if you just confirm the student with that cross-handed thing, you, you, you never know if you're possibly say keeping the student from making a certain progress that he would have made in case he would have been confronted with both methods open and cross-handed playing it's like giving you another tool in your toolbox and there are times when it's to your advantage to play in one particular way over the other and for me i've come across that in many times I've, i might there's some shows that i've done where we had to add some percussion tracks to them and rather than handing a tambourine to someone that isn't a percussionist i would usually just add it to my own drum set adapt an open-handed style and then play the percussion parts with my left hand because i enjoyed the challenge of that and it was something that felt like a an accomplishment and it just adds another creative voice to your toolbox it it, it really does but uh, but i think at the end of the day it all comes down to uh does a certain concept or a certain technique contribute to the music does yep. it allow mu uh, uh, a certain potential for the music to grow and for the music to be uh i mean to 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 still get some some deeper dimension or to organize the music in in yet a better more comfortable way if it's if music is is your is your vision and you're looking for the for the best possible avenue to achieve that then you can't go wrong uh, because ultimately this is this is what you have to look for. It's it's about the music, and if you're in the way of the music, I don't care what kind of a concept it's going to be, it's possibly not cool. Yeah. 
So one of the things that you've been doing over the last few years is is running a series of drum camps, often called, I think they were called the open-minded drum camps. And mm. what's the concept behind that? And what are some of the philosophies and things that you're teaching to the students at these camps? This camp or, or the whole organization, educational organization of open-minded drumming, I should say, started out with the drum camp, yes. Uh, it further went into an educational hub, I should say, an, an, an online hub with uh, produced courses and a knowledge base and uh, practicing sessions, live meetings, uh, social media platform behind the whole thing. So, so there, there's, a, there's a lot of stuff to be, to be said about open-minded drumming. But uh, first and foremost, the idea was to, in the camps, uh, provide opportunity to to show the real thing to to students and uh, and to begin with uh, or 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 let's put it the other way around to uh, to to not spread any further misconception or or any stuff being just redundant repeating things over and over again which which already is clear but providing a, a good basic foundation in a variety of different drumming aspects, be it technique, be it styles, be it independence, be it methodology, be it the art of teaching, uh, uh, providing a good and reliable legit foundation. And this is also what then further uh, was uh, continued into the educational hub um, uh, with openmindeddrumming.com to uh, avoid misconception by just leaving out all these half-truths that you find or taking out uh, certain degrees of misinformation like one teacher would tell you oh you need to do this and another guy tells you no you you, you need to go you, you need to do this and uh, we wanted to be clear in in the message that we that we spread with open-minded drumming and um and by doing that, it's really also a process of streamlining a learning uh, curve, if you will, or a learning process. Because once you take out all the misconception, once you take out anything for, I mean, which is just redundant stuff, once you take out things which uh, are difficult to prove and, and no one really knows if it's kind of, okay, this is more like a, Oh, the, the, the myth that somebody was doing certain things this way. You just, we just try to nail it to the point. What is it actually when you want to learn a certain drumming topic? We provide the, the legit, reliable information and we take it from there. And all of a sudden, this huge amount of drumming information shrinks down to something of which you say, oh, it's just that I can relate to this. It's not, you know, it's not rocket science. It's just playing the drums. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, and, and that's already it. <laughs> now, what are some of the misconceptions that occur in, in these situations? The, you know, questions that you ask from students that you feel that you have to kind of just correct or redirect them? Yeah, I mean, one thing for sure is uh, is is all the the crazy amount of misconception about molar technique, uh, and it and it starts with very basic things. I mean, understanding that the 
that the words or that the qualities upstroke and downstroke do not relate to the tip of the stick when we speak of molar technique. It's not about holding the stick down. It's mm -hmm. about allowing for rebound. And when Jim was saying, okay, this is down, tap, up, down, tap, up, down, tap, up. Jim was never holding down the stick. The stick always stayed in motion. But it's just ridiculous if you see the amount of people who teach molar technique and then hold down the stick into the drum head, uh, which is just as much molar technique as, I don't know, North Korea is democracy. <laughs> Uh, it's not, but but you need to be aware of certain cornerstones of what is it actually that makes that truly makes the characteristics of some technique, or what is it really that I should watch out for, and and where does the misconception come in and sort of clean up this mess at times, I should say. Well, when I first became a student of Dom Family Arrows, probably about ten years ago, I went back to the beginning. And I really just started in terms of analyzing my technique and understanding of all of these concepts. And what I realized, and I've said this to, to Dom in the past, is that I used to think I wanted to learn the things that I observed people doing. Then I realized at some point it wasn't that I wanted to learn the things that they were doing. I wanted to learn how to play as smoothly with the flow the way that I observe some of the masters and it all came down to motion and different techniques. And so for me, the biggest joy I got of learning techniques wasn't necessarily to build up the, the chops that I had to do to make things much more complicated to play. It was just to make everything easier to play with a better flow. And that's the thing that I really found fascinating about this whole process and learning a lot of the different grips was that it just improved the motions of my playing, which therefore in improved the joy that I was getting from my playing and made things much more musical. So when you look back with your own experience as a student, you were very fortunate to spend time studying with, with Jim Chapin and with Dom Familiero. And what were some of the biggest lessons or takeaways that you got from your experiences with both of them? I mean, a couple. Um, I, I should say one of, the, one of the, the most important takeaways was understanding that technique, if, if you were to, to define technique, the word technique is actually just a streamlined fashion of movement mm -hmm. technique is nothing or developing technique is nothing else than an optimization of movement so you find the smartest way from a to b that's it uh, another thing i learned uh, for instance was that when you when you look at someone playing uh, what you see is never just acquired technique you always see at least also, uh, and and maybe, and maybe you see more of of the 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 personal individual gift or talent for motion than you see technique. And uh, and I think this is often underestimated or not even thought about. And it's it's very much an aspect if you if you look into other disciplines like sports or so i mean if if you would if you would train i don't know 10 people in the very same way as usain bolt to run 100 meters yeah right uh 
still, I mean, what, what you get is not 10 Usain Bolts. It's not that. You can teach everyone exactly the same technique of how you move, how you do this, how, how you're going to make that, that, that you run so fast from A to B. But there's only one Usain Bolt, right? Um, and why is that? Because all of these 10 people that you're teaching this technique, they all bring something different to the table. But the, the sad thing is, oftentimes these 10 people don't really know what it is that they bring to the table. Mm -hmm. so, so before you learn something and before you develop something, you oftentimes need to find out who you are. You need to find out what it is that makes me special. Because when I then blend this with streamlined technique, the result then can be killer. But, but, but if, I, if I just say, okay, here's a guy who plays incredibly fast, uh, so he must have good technique. I'm not sure if that's always good technique. I mean, it, it just may be that, that you're seeing someone who has just, just an outstanding talent for motion and that his muscles and his fast reflexes just, just compensate for things which his technique would actually maybe not even do. But, but he as a person or she as a person has a certain gift to move in, 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 in that fast way, which other people then translate as being good technique, but not always is essentially good technique. So, so that's, that, that's important to, uh, to understand. And, uh, and Jim was, uh, was very much aware of, of that. And I like, like say, I, I remember, I remember a story <laughs> about, uh, uh, about a drummer by the name of Joe Ascioni. Have you ever come across the name? I have Joe? not. No. Okay. So, um, and, uh, and Jim always used to say, Joe Ascioni, fastest single strokes that you can imagine. It, it, he's, he's just the fastest. And, uh, uh, and, and there was one time which was, in the late nineties, I should say, I was, I was touring with, with the New York voices in, in, uh, uh, somewhere in the middle East. I think we were in Armenia playing a jazz festival. Tommy Igo had just left the band and I came in to, uh, to be touring with the New York voices. So we play this jazz festival in Armenia and I see on the, on the roster of artists. Oh, Here's Joe Ascioni playing, I think, with Mark Johnson on bass and, a, and an Armenian piano player. I forgot the name. And I said, Jesus Christ, I got to check this guy out. So I went to the concert. I saw Joe Ascioni playing. And uh, I mean, what can I say? Jim was totally right. It was by far, maybe even still to the very day, the fastest single strokes that I could imagine. Totally effortless, totally flawless, super comfortable, but still extremely musical so he i mean it wasn't just that he knew that he had this weapon he also knew how to use it which still makes <laughs> it makes a big difference so so the other day when i returned I, uh, I i mentioned this to dom and i and i said uh dom i i, I was performing in armenia and uh you, you know what jim was always talking about joe ascioni and his fast single strokes but uh i mean it's really true. Uh, that was, that was outstanding. And, and Dom was saying, yeah, I mean, the guy is really outstanding, but check this out. I once sat down to have a cup of coffee with Joe Ascioni. And I think he said his sister, his, his sister. Yeah, I think so. And, uh, 
and uh, and Don was saying, you know, Joe's sister, she doesn't have a clue about drumming. She she doesn't even play the drums, but uh, but like on use, using her spoon on the on the on the on the coffee cup with one hand, she did this. <laughs> and she just has those crazy fast reflexes, which is in the family. It's in their DNA. So I, I will possibly be nowhere near this ability because I don't have that in my DNA. <laughs> I can still do certain things fast, but but with me, it's it's not the gift. It's it's more it's it's more the technique that that you see. Which, which I don't care which one is better, but, uh, uh, but that's, I'm just saying it's important to understand here is gift and individual talent and here's technique. And once they blend, it's great, but misconfusing mis natural ability with technique is something that I wouldn't do. That's the lesson. <laughs> well, and I actually remember at your masterclass, you made a point, something along that lines that everyone's kind of built differently. Some people are built to play really fast double bass and some people are not. And the problem is, is that you have to kind of figure out what you're built for and, and, and what you are naturally inclined to do and, and follow those kind of paths and, and embrace those particular gifts because everyone is not the same and you have to just really embrace the things that make you very unique and talented in, in those fashions and, it, and it's important to remember that because particularly with the aspect of social media it's so easy to get caught up on the videos that people are putting out there and get discouraged about some of the abilities that people are presenting and forget about the own abilities that you have to, to present as well too. And it's, and I've said this before about social media. One of the things that's extremely popular about social media is that people love to post drum covers of different videos. And there's, it's really impressive to see people's takes on some really classic material. But for me personally, I would love to see them post a video of something that makes them themselves rather than them just doing a copy of something that they admire, trying to re replicate it exactly. You know, I, I'd rather sort of see someone else's sort of personal interpretation because I'm interested more in kind of that particular process. But there is value in both. A lot of it is the accomplishment of the efforts that people have put in, they want to demonstrate that they have put in the time so that they can perform these. But I, I think it's important to always embrace what makes you unique as well. Correct, and and, and this is why I, why I said in the in the some some minutes ago, yeah. you, you need to find out who you are. You need to find out what is your star, what is your talent, what is your personal gift that that you're good at. What is your thing, and then. You, you look for that star and then you follow your star. You don't follow someone else's star. You follow your star. And, uh, and, uh, and I think that's, that's ultimately the, the only way how you can be happy with the instrument. Because if you're following someone else's star consistently, you, you'll always take the backseat. You'll always learn, okay, this guy still does it better, and this guy also does it better, and this guy and but if you do your thing and uh, and 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 you and you're happy with that, 
then you're, you're not standing in line with, I don't know, thousands of other people in front of you and, and everyone gets the food before you get the food, right? If you're, if you're somewhere, <laughs> okay, everyone brings his plate and, uh, and you, you might be standing in line and thousands of, of people have, have gotten their food and, and you get to the place and all of a sudden, no more food. Right? <laughs> what, what a shame is that? So you follow your star and the line <laughs> where you pick up your food is going to be way shorter. You have also written a number of exceptional education books, including, you know, Open Hand and Playing, Volume 1, Volume 2, The Daily Drum Set Workout, which is a book that I think is it's got some brilliant exercises in them and I refer to frequently. And then you also put out a book a few years back called Camp Duty Update, which is really almost a historical look in terms of rudimental drumming throughout the years and from different cultures. And then you kind of added your own analysis and approach to that. Can you talk a little bit about that particular project and how that came about? How it came about? I mean, one of, one of the original inspirations for it was the aspect that... Uh, uh, when, when you teach drums and when you, and, and when you're working on all these traditional, uh, sources and, and books on rudimental drumming, like the Pratt books and Charlie Wilkerson and all of that, there is still, I mean, a huge degree of confusion about how certain things are to be interpreted. What's, what, what's the official way? How, how you, how do you play Wilcoxon number five or a number, 137 or I, I don't care what, what's the, what's the authentic way to play certain patterns and what's the intended way of how Charlie Wilcoxon would have wanted this to sound. And it's, and it's just surprising how few people actually are aware of that. Uh, and there is again, always room for, uh, for those half truths. Like one, one teacher would tell you, Oh, that double stroke is just too dense. Make it wider. Oh no, that that's too wide. You make it denser. And say, <laughs> Jesus Christ, can can I please have some sort of more reliable information on how I do this? It's just playing a drum. It's yeah. not quantum mechanics or anything like that. So, so the 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 first inspiration was uh, putting some or shedding some extra light on authentic interpretation of standard rudiments in the first place. And then also, uh, say making people aware of, uh, of the fact that all of these traditional patterns were originally performed alongside a fife melody. Mm -hmm. and the fife melody oftentimes, I mean, really prescribes and really dictates the interpretation of the drumming. But since most people are not aware of those melodies and how their rhythms would be, obviously they also don't know how the rhythm from the drums would be. So, so we are actually speaking about that aspect where the music and the drumming were separated, which I thought was not a very cool idea because it led ultimately to the point where we have rudiments like on a poster on the wall and people think that's it. But the problem is, it's not just that. It's not only a rhythm that you play. It's 
It's a signal that was used for something and it was accompanied from a fife melody that you don't know anymore. And, uh, and say reuniting the drumming and the music and, uh, and also exposing people to the early sources of all of that rudimental drumming, of which I'm afraid to say none of that was an American invention. <laughs> but it was obviously all European inventions, mostly coming from what today is Switzerland, France, certain parts of Germany. And it's, it's kind of difficult to nail it down to a certain country because back in those days, two, three, four hundred years ago, Europe was, was looking very differently from how it looked today. So, so let's say it's European traditions and they at some point were transported, exported to the new world and then kind of uh, began to be reshaped in, in their own little way. But the original inspiration for all of that came out of Europe. And, uh, and, and also quite some patterns were exported, not really in the correct way and uh, renamed at times even um, or certain certain things had issues with copy paste from from America <laughs> from from Europe to America I should say and just clarifying as much as as possible from from there was the the basic mission for the book you also recently put out a new book called uh, Taladiddle which is another different concept as well too. Can you talk a little bit about the concept behind that book? Oh, sure. Uh, it, it all came about when, uh, when Claudio Spieler, who is the, who is the, the, the co-author on, on the book. So we did this, uh, together and, and I should say Claudio is really a virtuoso in, uh, in Conakol, Solkatu and, uh, also on the Kanjira, which is a small frame drum, but also plays Cajon such ridiculously good with his carnatic approach from Indian music that you, I mean, this is really dangerous. So, so Claudio is a beast and we were, we were both uh, invited to be teaching and performing at a uh, percussion camp in Austria. And, uh, and we figured in, uh, in, in preparation, we figured, Wow, there's just so much common ground between what you do and what I do. Uh, so let's arrange for a little performance together, just just trying to combine certain rudimental elements and what you do with your syllables and your and your clapping and the the talam and and all of that. So we prepared a piece, and that actually became the starting point for the book because we kept. Uh, discovering more and more common ground between the world of rudiments and the world of carnatic rhythms. And, uh, and just understanding that the combination of two ancient and very old traditional schools of, of rhythm and, and drumming and how well they go together, we thought this is just a, an, an incredible opportunity to also, um, to also spread that information in a book format. Uh, so you, you're going, so in the book, you're going to learn about the foundation of, uh, of Tala and Indian rhythms and, and all the syllables and all the arrangements that come with that. But it's also about not just exercises, but performance pieces in different levels between someone playing a pad and someone doing the conical, the, the syllable part and the, 
and the traditional clapping. And it's just surprising how well this goes together and how one thing is helping another. And this is really uh, one of the things that, that I find uh, exciting in, in drumming when you, you learn about one thing and all of a sudden you notice the similarities with a different drumming topic. And when you then bring those together and you create a fusion of both, you, uh, you, you seem to discover the, the, the full puzzle of drumming. And it's, it's not just, okay, here's an island and here's an island and here's something and here's something, but all of these different things are not connected. But when you seem to be able to connect what you know about drumming, your picture of the musical world will be a different one. That's, that's what I really believe. It's definitely on my list of projects to to check out. So I will be picking that one up soon. And I think it sounds a, like a, a really exciting concept to, to, to get into. So what are some of the other projects that you currently have in the works, whether it be, you know, playing, uh, writing projects, uh, book projects or anything else? What's what's keeping you busy these days? Well, one of the things which is constantly on the desk is uh, is developing more materials for open-minded drumming. So we have around 11, 12 more courses in the editing process right now uh, and just doing all the paperwork and the recordings for that. So I I recorded actually a, a couple of thousand audio examples where people can practice along with me. So the, the player, like the player on the website that you can slow down or speed up, but it's, it's, it's really, uh, a, a real audio with, with this set of drums here, uh, that, that I record that you practice then along with me, which makes it way different than, than having just some, some, I don't know, programmed generic sort mm -hmm. of sounds. Uh, so that's one thing. Currently, in the in the last couple of days, I was I was getting back to um, to the early steps of where where Dom and myself began to put out a, th a third book, actually, which uh, which was still a leftover from uh, from flying papers that we still had from uh, Jim Chapin. Um, so it's going to be the the Collapse Rudiments book, and I had been working on that for quite some time, but we were missing certain things and the concept never seemed to be like um now let's step back this, we are missing something here so i'm i keep collecting materials for that and this will definitely be something that uh, that receives more attention next year and uh, also i have a couple of uh, of rudimental pieces in the edit process right now so uh, some of them are already recorded um, and they they will be released under my own publication uh, business uh, it's not going to be a, a, a crazy elaborated say uh, method book it's mm -hmm. it's actually just pieces that you that you learn i should say they are pretty dangerous so i still have to practice them <laughs> but uh but they are very cool, very much in the style of, of uh, even more advanced than, or I should say way more advanced than even the most difficult ones that you find with Camp Duty Update. Uh, so they are really <laughs> something else. So that's on the list of things. And uh, we are looking into more 
I mean, not yet recordings, but uh, writing materials for my band Flux, which is that Hammond trio. So yep. if you want to check this out. So these are just three things that I try to to keep going under the hood while all of the rest is is just still happening. So the, the, the teaching and the playing and the and the writing for articles for for magazines and all of that. So that's that's still happening on the side. And uh, so it's busy times and just trying to, to pull out enough time for yourself to to practice and, and still grow and still discover new ideas. Well, with the Flux project, you've released three CDs and I have them all and they're fantastic. So I'm very excited that you're continuing to do stuff with that project. And I look forward to anything new coming out of that camp. Now, as a student yourself, looking back over your own particular journey, what were some of the biggest challenges that you really had to work to overcome? Some of the biggest challenges. Uh, I would say challenge number one is uh, maybe organizing time. And, uh, and this can be difficult because you don't always know uh, what certain top priorities would be because th there might be uh, a, 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 there might be a choice of promising things on the table. Oh, there's this project here, but there's also this, but there's, hmm, but what am I going to prioritize here? And what am I going to work on first? So this is, this is really a, a very difficult choice. And that's something that keeps popping up, making choices about what to do first. And, uh, and, uh, it, it kept reappearing on, on different levels. Like, and it started out with, okay, am I, am, am I first going to work through this book or am I rather taking lessons with that guy or da, da, da. but now it, it's, it's still the, the, the same questions. Is it, okay, will I first, will I first really jump on, on that, on, on those rudimental pieces and, and get those off the table that might be more realistic since it's not that much stuff, but but you're you're not always inspired to work on on that and when you're missing the the kiss of the muse you would rather say move back to the to the collapsed rudiments book oh i got i got a little idea here but all of a sudden the idea you got for the book is inspiring something that you're still missing for the pieces so so th there's also good stuff happening when you when you have more than one thing going on at a time but uh, the, the problem is just where do, you, where do you take the time from? So I would say time and organizing time and still having enough time for yourself, which is not about drumming and which mm -hmm. is not about music is very important because ultimately this should be fun, right? And I, and I still, I enjoy playing the drums so much, I, I would, I would love to have more time to just practice. Um, and uh, I need to take this time out, but it's not always there. So that's what I'm struggling with. I guess time is is the most important thing here. Well, and I like the thing too that you mentioned that it's also important to factor in time away from the drums because you need outside influences and outside inspirations to make you want to come back to your drum set or whatever musical instrument is your muse and 
and be inspired and be refreshed. Because if you're so focused sometimes on the things just immediately in front of you, then you can kind of get get lost in the chaos and you really need to find that that life balance. And that's something that's not always easy to do, particularly when you have an increasingly long list of things that you really want to get done. I often say that I didn't learn how to practice until I was probably 30 years into my drumming journey. I learned how to get material and I would learn to sit down and work through the material, but I didn't really learn how to have a, a, a practice strategy. Now that I have a better approach, I probably spend a little bit less time working on, you know, like in terms of my, in my practice room, but the time that I have is so much more productive and so much more beneficial and so much more joyful that when I leave the practice room, I'm so excited to come back and continue that journey rather than just trying to spend all of this time just getting through all of the material without really the the focus and you know and then you need to get out and go for a walk have a nice meal spend time with your family do all these other things that are also essential elements in your life as well now i talked about the student aspect now as a teacher what are some of the biggest challenges that you often see reoccurring with some of the students that you have uh i would say number one self-reflection getting getting a student to the point where where he or she would understand what it really is that should be the next step what are the things that i struggle with what are the things that i'm good at and uh, what is it like in in a, in a specific exercise that i'm having problems with and uh, and 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 where are the shortfalls so self-reflection and uh, and coming up with the most objective fashion of evaluating your yourself and and your craft is extremely important for your personal growth. So and and I'm and I'm saying this even I mean even in a situation when you when you notice okay I'm I'm not able to play this exercise I'm not able to play this pattern but when you understand why that is, the answer is already on the table. If, if, if you know what went down the, 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 the wrong avenue, you, you can make the fix. But if, but if you only notice, okay, I can't play this, but I have no idea why this is. Mm -hmm. I mean, in that situation, you can't even practice. Practice is not going to be a solution for that. It's not going to, it's not going to fix the issue because you don't know what the problem is. But you would know what the problem is if the degree of the most objective self-reflection was in place. Does that make sense? I guess and, so. Yeah, it, make, it makes perfect sense. If you're not willing to like self-reflect and be honest and open with the things that you're challenging with, then the practicing that you're doing really just becomes a distraction from fixing the problem in the first place. And I often find with some of my own students, the students that come in that know what they're not happy with are the ones that are most successful because we can address the problem and they're not afraid to do the work because I've given them a solution to help them overcome the challenge. It's when you don't really know what it is that you want as a student or what it, and you're completely relying on someone else to try and figure out who you are. That's when sometimes things can be a challenge. So it's important to make sure you know what it is that you want and what your challenges are. And that's really where you're going to see the most growth. 
Correct. And uh, uh, you, you know what? I, I often compare this to, to, to certain pictures because um, at times people don't always understand what this means for their progress and, and for the, the learning process on the drums. If you, but, but if you would say, okay, look at playing the drums like, a, uh, like as if you would set out for a journey at sea. Let's say you get a boat and um, and uh, let's say you, you, you want to take this boat into the ocean, into the water, and then make, make a sea journey. First of all, uh, you wouldn't do this if you really hate water. <laughs> <laughs> That's number one. So uh, second, you wouldn't do this if there wasn't any kind of a purpose that makes you put the boat into the water. Like, let's say, I, I want to go fishing or I want to go to this island, or I want to go to some other continent. I don't care. But there, there needs to be some kind of direction for you, because if that wouldn't be there, you wouldn't take the boat into the water. And if you were still on top of that, hating the water, you'd rather take a plane or, <laughs> or this, or don't make the journey at all. So, so that's one thing. The next thing is, if you want to do this, you need, you need a map, you, you need orientation how you get to that place where the most fish are, or you need direction where this island is. So direction may come from the stars. It may come from a map. So if you can't read the map, you can't reach the island. <laughs> uh, but, but still, if, let's say you put that boat into the water. You want to go to that island, and, uh, and all of a sudden there's there's water coming into your boat because there there's there's leakage right there there's there's holes in the in the body so what i see people do is they try to row faster <laughs> or they buy new sails or they <laughs> go or they go hire a new captain or they or they go paint the boat in a different color that they like better they people keep doing all kinds of of stupid things but off quite sometimes they don't fix the holes where the water is coming in so mm -hmm. that should be priority number one. If you do that, if you know where the water comes in, you can fix it. If you don't care that there's water coming in and, and you still buy an, a new engine to, <laughs> to drive the boat to the island, it's not going to work. So, uh, so relating a picture like that to your personal situation on the drums oftentimes makes people see what the problem is. Well, and a good teacher can kind of look at the big picture because they have the map because they've done the journey themselves and they've had to figure out all these different things and so often the problem sometimes with going on to youtube and trying to do everything on your own is that you get you just keep building up the box of new things that you have but you never really figure out how to use all of the tools and it's just it's weighing the sinking boat down and eventually you're just going to get lost and you're just going to run away because you're discouraged so you just so you need to kind of really you know reach out to the people that have that have been through this discovery process before and trust them and that they have a vision for you and i know I remember saying to someone once uh, when I was going to Long Island for, to Dom's the first time that I, you know, that I was uh, taking this trip and they thought, well, that's, that's great, but you've been playing drums for 30 years. So like, what are you going to learn, you know, at, at, a, at a lesson? And I said, well, I'm going to learn how to hold a drumstick and hit a drum. And they're like, well, that doesn't sound 
like that sounds like something you should already know i'm like yes but there are limitations in terms of the things that I can do. So I need a master to go through and help me figure that out and to give me a new tool. So they, they, so Dom and you in many ways helped me patch the holes in my boat so that I can continue my journey and really seek the islands of um, discovery and really just kind of enjoy this whole process so that's one of the things that i love about just reaching out to to some great teachers is just really getting that 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 guidance because a good teacher will challenge you um they won't always give you all the information right away because sometimes when you get all the information right away it's almost overwhelming and actually that's one of the things that you said to me in one of our lessons yeah you said that i was a meticulous learner and the advantage with being a meticulous learner is that you can learn things really deeply and thoroughly. But the problem with being a meticulous learner is that sometimes you're not comfortable starting the process without all of the information at first. So you just have to accept that sometimes you just need to just take some of the information at first and realize you'll get the rest that you need. You don't need it all right away. And I thought that described me to a T and it really helped me kind of focus on some of the things that I found to be uh, a struggle in my approach. So I, I really appreciate that observation from you because it made a difference. <laughs> Very good. And, uh, and, 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 you know, um, it, it also ad addresses another advice that I'm, that I'm giving to people quite often, which is balancing your, your practice time, uh, at least in, in two different areas, uh, which would be what I refer to the drill zone and the game zone. So the, in the game zone, um, I mean, there is, there is only fun. It's only experimenting. There's no right and wrong. It's just, you take a certain drumming topic and, uh, and you assign a certain time frame of, however long that would be, or I don't care. And, and you just experiment with that in the most childlike fashion. But there's also the drill zone in which very much there is a system, there is mistakes, there's right and wrong, there's evaluation, there's do this, avoid that. It's a, it's a very clear method of how you proceed. But um, if you only stay in the drill zone, you'll you know, you, you, you'll never learn what, what that topic that you just studied is going to be worth in a musical context, because you, you, you're, you're not beginning to be creative with it. And same goes for, for those people who only enjoy the game zone, because yeah, I mean, they're enjoying the drums, but they'll never dive to the bottom of the pond. They never understand. Okay. If I struggle with something, it is because of my misbehavior here and my problems here and da, da, da. but i need to find out about that in in order to make my game zone the next time around even more enjoyable so it's about the balance between the game and the drill and your practicing needs to have both and a lesson needs to have both because if you're stuck in just one routine or just one sector there might be a shortfall in the long run so for people that are interested in learning more about you and some of your education material or other things that you're involved in, what's the best way to connect? Well, I mean, obviously still websites are cool. So, so Klaus, uh, Klaushessler.com, C-L-A-U-S-H-E-S-S-L-E-R.com would be a, a good source. Also, openmindeddrumming.com, where you would 
if, if, if you just sign up for some of the free account, uh, you could notice some of the things that I try to do as a, as an extended version of my books and, and writings. So, so I think open-minded drumming really is a natural extension of, of my publishing stuff. Um, also, obviously, Instagram has has turned into some some major source for for contact. So I'm not posting every day, but every second or third day, and you can always reach out to me. But email through klausessler.com is usually the the best way to not lose messages. So, Klaus, it's always a pleasure. It's been, like I said, it's been a while since we connected, but I'm going to make a point of connecting with you again at some point for a, a long overdue follow-up lesson. But I'm continued to be really inspired by the impact and the influence that you're having on our drum community and just how many people you're really helping on their own journeys. So it, you're you're a continued inspiration, and it's an absolute joy for me to connect with you. <laughs> Thank you. The, the pleasure is on my side, Michael. <laughs> so all the best to you, and uh, we'll chat again at some point soon. Absolutely. That's what we do, okay? Stay well. Happy holidays whenever you, you have time for it, but uh, yeah, stay great. <laughs> all the best. As we come to the end of 2023... I just wanted to take a moment to reflect back and thank everyone in helping make the first year of my Drummer's Pathway podcast such a positive experience. We all experience challenges and successes throughout the year, but it's essential that we continue to persevere in our endeavors and know that each one of us is unique and has something of value to offer. For everyone who took the time to listen to an episode, reach out to share how it affected them, and encourage me to keep following this path, I just want to thank you for all your kindness and support. As we enter into the holiday season, which can be a challenging time for many, I want you to stay inspired, embrace new opportunities, and continue to reach out to others when you need support and encouragement. I will be back in January with some new episodes that I'm excited to share with all of you. In the meantime, thanks for listening. been listening to the drummer's pathway podcast please share and subscribe to get the word out and let's keep the discussion going thanks for listening and i'll see you next time <laughs>